A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. On DAB+, on the app, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's a Monday morning and it's all kicking off. You would not believe what's happened already. I've only been here about an hour and a half and it's already mayhem, uh, not just in this office, but all over the place, particularly in Parliament and particularly uh, down in Downing Street, uh, where they're still reeling from the uh, Hancock papers or the lockdown files, whatever you wish to call them, Isabel Oakeshott's cache of uh, WhatsApp messages, uh, which have been running the headlines in the Daily Telegraph for almost a week now. Absolutely extraordinary stuff. John Rental is here. We haven't seen him for a while. We'll find out what he makes of it all. Uh, we'll also find out uh, what he makes of what is about to become a new law uh, coming tomorrow. We'll be talking uh, to Stephen Wolfe about this as well. Uh, there's going to be new laws which will apparently stop migrants from coming here at all. If you believe that, I've got some swamp land in Florida to sell you, um, uh, where maybe they could go. Also, of course, uh, we'll be covering a couple of very big uh, court cases coming up uh, this morning. Uh, there's going to be a sentencing hearing uh, for Wayne Cousins for another offence that he committed. Uh, that would be the one of flashing uh, the lady who was serving in McDonald's. Also, Charles Bronson, uh, the longest-serving prisoner uh, in the history of Britain's jails, uh, is up for parole. He's a man who's been in prison uh, nearly 50 years. He's never actually murdered anybody. He's never actually committed a massively violent crime outside of prison, but he keeps committing them inside. He says he's nearly 70 and he deserves to be let out. Some people disagree. Peter Hitchens will be here, of course. He's written an awful lot about the lockdown files this weekend. And we'll be talking about dentists, because apparently you can't get one. Uh, we'll be talking about railways, because apparently they've gone up again in price this very morning. And we'll be talking, of course, about many, many other things as well. Maybe even uh, Harry and Meghan. This is Talk TV. I'm Mike Graham. This is the Independent Republic. Let us get it on. Welcome to the start of yet another week. We are well into March. I'm not sure about the Ides. Uh, they don't come for another couple of uh, weeks yet, I don't think. But they always have to be where the Ides of March. Remember that story from history. John Rental is here, uh, who is, of course, a man that we speak to on a very regular basis about all manner of things. John, very good morning to you. Good morning, good morning. And it's good to see how you. To pronounce Shoreditch. Well, I mean, Shoreditch is the way I've always pronounced it. Um, <laughs> I was going to Shoreditch before anybody called it. Um, <laughs> before it Shoreditch. was trendy. Yeah, before it was trendy. And I used to go to an FE college there called City and East London College because Shoreditch in those days used to be considered East London. Now yeah. it's Central London. Right? Yeah. Uh, but that was when Wapping also used to be considered very far east. And people were going, blimey, I can't go and work there. It's east of the tower. <laughs> you know, and now you just kind of go, well, it's just a short walk for the city, isn't it? But anyway, um, I don't know where to begin, really. So much to talk about. I guess we should talk about the Daily Telegraph and today's revelations about Hancock, rejected plans to cut isolation. Some of the stuff from yesterday, though, about scaring the pants off people and when should we come up with a new variant. I mean, this has yeah. made government look completely and utterly 
I would say, supercilious, incompetent, and also disregarding oh. of the public health. No, I don't. I don't agree with any of that. I think, I think the tone. The tone has been. The tone has been unfortunate, as as you would expect. The tone of what's laughing that at people to be? being yes. quarantined. I know. I mean, that's just, more than unfortunate, surely. Well, yes, but it's the sort of thing that always went on uh, in private phone conversations. Uh, the extraordinary thing about WhatsApp is it's just trans, it's transformed mm. uh, government record keeping. Yeah. I mean, there were there were all these complaints. Um, you know, I can I can remember only a few years ago people complaining that what you know WhatsApp and so on was going to undermine government uh, open government. Mm. Uh, on the contrary, it's it's um, it, it's opened up the government to, to a degree that's never been seen before. Well, except it hasn't, and because the only reason that it's been opened up is because of the fact that Matt Hancock. Um, gave these files to Isabel Oakeshott for the purposes of a book. He also yeah. says, by the way, which is not often said, but yeah, I'm going to repeat it again. But I'm, I'm going to repeat it again. He also says he gave them to the COVID inquiry committee. Yeah. So therefore, they're already in the public domain anyway. So this well, they're about, not yet. Yeah, but they I mean, are. We don't basically. know. We don't know if the COVID inquiry was going to publish them. Well, I mean, I, mean, I hope. Well, the then, COVID in which case, even was, more, was well, in which case, even, I mean, in which case, even more public interest defence, because if the belief yeah. is that just because you've given them to a committee, yeah, but they may not come out, then even more reason to make them come out. Absolutely. I can't agree. I can't agree more. I'm all in favour of uh, yeah. uh, openness. But I mean, otherwise, public messages um, from WhatsApp groups do not come out into the public to meet uh, because well, somebody they do, releases they them. do seem to because well, these they get have. leaked all the time. Well, these have. Uh, well, and and Dominic, Dominic Cummings um, has put, has put loads of them in the public domain, mm. including including you know some quite sensitive stuff. Well, from, do you know it's, good, it's good that you bring him up because at the time when he did that, some people were saying, "How is he not breaching the Official Secrets yeah. Act here?" And wasn't he? Or at, well, least, or at least confidentiality agreement. Exactly. Well, it's a grey area, isn't well, it? Well, why whether, didn't nobody give him these WhatsApp, what, Whether these WhatsApp messages are... Yeah, but are, isn't it funny, uh, government, though, isn't it funny, though that the, the, the loudest voices on this whole, you know, oh, my goodness me, these were private messages that should never have been published. Never, The same people never said that about Cummings because yes, he was attacking Boris Johnson. Oh, I see. Well, Do you yeah. see what I mean? There well, is, I mean, there is a little bit of political... He was, he was attacking Matt Hancock as well. And, yeah, and but, a lot was, of the, yeah a but, lot but the reason that he was sitting in his basement tapping all these ridiculously long, um, you know, Twitter threads out was because he was trying to kill off Boris Johnson. Yes, He wasn't trying right. to... He, his target was not Matt Hancock. Uh, well, it, Matt Hancock was one of his targets. But also, given the way target. that Hancock and his, and his cohorts talked about Dominic Cummings, then I don't blame him for being against him. You yeah, know, they all well, hate each other. Well, except that they agreed on the lockdown. I mean, that's the extraordinary thing. Mm. I mean, uh, Dominic Cummings seemed to be seemed to be trying to do down Boris Johnson, yeah. who was actually um, who was actually in favour of locking down, and trying to promote Rishi Sunak instead. And Rishi Sunak was the most sceptical of mm. the senior ministers. What do you make of those who say that? Um the interesting thing about this story, like many stories now, is that if you were in favour of lockdown, you don't really want to admit that you were wrong. Therefore, you're going to carry on with your kind of you know, <laughs> daily business and just try and pretend that none of this is happening. Um, if you were against lockdown, this is absolute proof that you were right. And therefore, yeah. people in government should now well, be every, every held single, to account. Yeah. Right? And not only criminally prosecuted, but probably locked up. And possibly sent to, um, you know, St. Helena, St. Helena. Is that how you pronounce it? <laughs> possibly, yeah. Um, uh, to, to be in exile for the rest of time. Uh, if you were somewhere in the middle and you probably broke a few rules because you didn't think they were that good anyway, um, this is also proof that you were right to do what you did. <laughs> so there's something in this for everyone, well, in most, other words. Yeah, I mean, almost all, almost, almost all political stories are like that. They sort of reinforce everybody in the beliefs they already had. And I think this is, but, this is but a But to be serious example. for a minute, is there anything about what Matt Hancock has now been shown to have done, which could lead to something more serious by way of either a government inquiry 
not just the COVID inquiry, which is going as slowly yeah. as, as, as all the inquiries always go. Well, indeed. Can he be but sanctioned in any other way? I mean, he's going to leave. What for, for adopting a, a flippant tone in some in some WhatsApps? I don't think so. Well, no, because well, he actually... hasn't just no, but he hasn't just adopted a flippant tone. He has basically admitted to inventing policy no. based on nothing other than a whim. For example, well, occasionally, the, the, yes. the, no, the masking policy yes. invented because Nicola Sturgeon got ahead of them. They didn't want her to be ahead of them. They yeah. get the, get the police get heavy with people, which results in people being fined, harassed. Uh, well, we had, and the we government had people, shouldn't have been interfering in, yes, in, in police yes, operations. Yes, so that's like wrong, yeah, right? Absolutely. These are yeah. not, this is not whimsy. That, uh, and then, this is all stuff we knew already. Well, no, it wasn't. We did not know that Matt Hancock had specifically told his people to tell the police to get heavy with individuals, right? Right. Okay. Laughing at the fact that people were being locked up, even though they didn't know whether it was going to make any difference at all, quarantined for longer than they needed to be, according to the science, and then saying, we need to scare the pants off people, and therefore explaining why they put out certain pieces of advice to people and why they wanted to scare people was because it suited their agenda. No, now, no, people no, no, were no. scared. I didn't see my mother in America that, for two years yes. as a result of this. I didn't yeah, see no, my own kids for eight weeks as a result of this. Yeah. People didn't see their loved ones as a result of this. People also died in care homes as no, a but, result of no, this. But that particular example, I think, has been, uh, has been wildly misrepresented. I mean, he won... He, he he wanted uh, to scare people in order to to make sure that they uh, they obeyed the instructions because he thought those were in the uh, those were in the public interest. I mean, you can dis- well, you can agree or disagree. No, but as to, no, but, as to but a government minister right. being quoted in his own hand as saying, "Let's scare the pants off people." Yeah, no, of course. The well, tone, that surely is the tone, not acceptable. The tone is, is it's not is just the tone. Terrible, no, but, but they did scare the but, pants off people, and people lost their businesses as a result. Yes, but the objective was to scare people in order to make sure that but they, that's obeyed, not they obeyed they obeyed the rules which that's they thought acceptable. were in the national interest. Yeah, so I thought I don't think there's a problem with. I mean, obviously, there's a problem with the with with the expression and the and the way he said it. Yeah, but you don't, don't think, think there's, there's a problem with the economy being tanked? Well, of course I do. I disagree. Of the policy, Mike. Right, but, uh, but I, they can't justify it now because we now know that they had no evidence scientifically. Well, of to course do they it. did. They had loads of evidence, and they followed the science to, at, at, the, at the start. No, they didn't. Um, they uh, didn't listen to Chris Whitty. That was the first uh, splash in the. In the yes, in and that Telegraph. was that, that was misleading so as well. So they didn't because, follow the no, science they did, either. They, no, they listened to Chris Whitty all the time. I mean that 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 original headline. Well, was, there's only uh, one person was, was who wrong. apparently had the pants scared off them, and that was old Gina Lola Brigida. Um, <laughs> and I don't know what he said to her to scare her, but you know she was the only one who came across with that um, put it mildly Sorry. <laughs> I know it's early but you know these things have got to be said uh, anyway let's talk about Keir Starmer who doesn't seem to know quite what to say about all of it because of course he wanted it to be even a longer lockdown a stronger well, lockdown was, a harder lockdown he was the one that kept saying he wanted the schools to remain closed he didn't want well he did it was always just on the edge no because he was, was frightened of upsetting the, the unions and you've written a great piece about Starmer actually uh, over his kind of Shilly shallying, shall we say, his inability to make up his mind. Dan Hodges also wrote well, a great piece at the weekend saying that Starmer has proved himself beyond any shadow of a doubt uh, as a politician with no principles. Well, I've said that, it's, that Keir Starmer's got a real problem in that in that he wanted uh, Jeremy Corbyn to be prime minister, and I think that's that's yes. something he he still struggles to to, to explain properly. And and the Luciana uh, Berger business, right? As you yeah. pointed out, she left the party because she felt it was dangerous for her to be in there as a Jewish woman. Absolutely, she said it was anti-Semitic. Starmer did nothing about that. Starmer other than welcomed, stay where he was. Starmer welcomed her back without without admitting that no. he he had been 
No, but he didn't leave his. But he didn't leave his his office, did he? When no, she left absolutely. the party, he, was, he, he was thought in, it was okay. He thought it was okay to stay in the shadow cabinet while mm. while while Luciana Berger was yeah. being was being handed out. I, right. I agree. I think he's got a real problem explaining those kind of things. Yes, and he's also got a real problem on his hands with whatever his belief system is, because nobody's really sure. He keeps pointing out, as you said, um, yeah. that he was in charge of the DPP and therefore he was in charge of a lot of people. Yeah. But it doesn't seem to have anything to say about what he didn't do which is the people he didn't prosecute, for example. He has nothing to say about that Jamaican criminal um, who he campaigned to keep in this country instead of deporting him, yeah. who then committed another murder. Well, that, I'm not right? sure that's a that's, Well, no, it's that's a completely a fair system, thing to but, say. I mean, yeah. Well, no, because the point is, is that he will jump on any bandwagon that he yeah. thinks is a good bandwagon to jump on, which is why he wanted to keep this guy in the country, yeah. uh, therefore resulting in somebody's death. Well, and why, why doesn't he say anything about it? Say so he made a mistake. Well, he's he's quite good at not saying That's things exactly about, right. about about things like this, and, mm. and not saying what he thinks now about his apparent genuine enthusiasm for parts of the uh, of the Jeremy Corbyn program uh, in 2017. Yeah, he very enthusiastic. He, he described the 2017 manifesto as a foundational document. Mm. I mean, and now of course he's junked all that. To be fair, he describes every document as that if it comes from the <laughs> Labour Party. I mean, you make you also make the point that lately he's out there all the time. We used to say, what's he doing, Keir Starmer? He's only policy. He's done a big, long speech about economic growth. He's done yeah. a big, long speech about his five pillars or whatever it is. Pillars, he's, got, he's got five missions. I a mean, mission-driven mission government. Yeah, mission-driven government. Supported by pillars. I mean, nobody uh, knows. Why doesn't he just get the headstone back? And, and he's, now struggling, he's now struggling to explain um, uh, the process by which uh, Sue Gray came to, well, came to become his Well, now you're star. talking, because this is a very interesting situation, isn't it? Because uh, keep, people keep asking him and other members of the uh, shadow Labour government um, when the conversation started. Yeah, um, and in fact, Dan Hodges makes the point that by doing this, by, by appointing her, he's actually given Boris Johnson a bit of a way back. He has. I mean, yeah. he's allowed He's, allowed he's Boris made a Johnson. terrible blunder here. Yes. Well, well was she, by, by, by um, defecting from the civil service to, to the Labour Party, mm. has allowed Boris Johnson to attack her inquiry and, and, attack, attack and the, the wider inquiry, yeah. inquiry into mm. the, the, the party going. Right. Uh, allegations and this just before and this is just before he gets called before the the privileges yeah. committee. I mean, it's all. I mean, Boris, it's all nonsense. But Boris Johnson is very good at exploiting a bit of nonsense. And, of course he is. Um, but that's what I mean. He's he's, he's been given the he's, opportunity now to just make, wave this all away and say, well, everybody knows what Sue Gray's beliefs are. Yes, uh, because she's about to join the Labour Party. Yeah. But um, he's also about to try and make his father a knight. Is he not? <laughs> Which I don't have a problem with, actually, because really? I believe the knighthood system is so bad now. That you might I mean, as well discredit it completely. Discredit, yeah, because <laughs> look who's got a knighthood. Gavin Williamson, right? Yeah. Um, Sir Red Davy. I don't know what he got that for. Really no, no idea. Sir Keir, Sir Keir Starmer. Starmer. Um, you know, he got one for just doing a job, which was actually very well paid. And as a result of getting that job, doing that job, he becomes a knight. And if I was Stanley Johnson, I'd be really upset that, uh, that Joe Johnson, Boris's brother, mm. got, got a peerage. Yeah. I mean, a knighthood's a sort of, you know, thin end of the wedge, isn't it? Anyway, <laughs> let's see. We'll come back with more with John Rental. Uh, we've got plenty more to talk about with Sue Gray as well. This is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. John Rental is here from the Independent. Um, before we go on and talk some more about Sue Gray and the likelihood that she may or may not end up working for Keir Starmer, um, we should be thankful, or perhaps not thankful, uh, that this man is no longer uh, the leader of the Labour Party. Have a look at this. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. So here I am on the latest stage of my GB Energy Tour, and I'm near Mansfield at the Lindhurst Wind Farm. 
Now these turbines behind me provide power for 5,000 homes. They were built in 2010. But here's the bad news. Since 2015 in England, only three of these type of wind farms have been built and are up and running. Now that effective ban introduced by the government has raised people's bills for every family in Britain by 160 pounds. And the worst news is this, the new energy secretary, Grant Chaps, he says these are an eyesore. Come on, Grant, what are you thinking of? The answer is blowing in the wind. Yep, well, he's certainly not the answer, is he? Ed Miliband there outdoing even the bacon sandwich eating clip. What is he thinking with a ukulele? That's a really bad Blue Peter impersonation, isn't it? isn't it? As somebody pointed out as well, to make matters worse, he's wearing a puffer jacket with a hood. Yeah. Which, that is... you know, nobody generally over the age of about six wears. <laughs> you know, I mean, just pathetic. Anyway, l- luckily he's still in the shadow government, I think, isn't he? He is. He's, uh, he's... he's an energy secretary. He is. He's the man that made it possible for everybody to buy diesel cars. Because I remember when he was in the Blair government, or the Brown government, I should say. Yeah. Um, he was the one that said diesel cars are cleaner. Get yourself a diesel car. It's much better than petrol. Extraordinary um, They will last longer. Yeah. And he's never apologised for that, as far as I know. No. Well, uh, perhaps he's going to apologise for that uh, that clip of him in front of I'd like to that. think so. I mean, I imagine that there's some 18-year-old spad running around saying, oh, this would be a good idea. We'll go and stand by a wind farm. You know, I mean, the only thing that didn't happen was a flock of seagulls was massacred by one of these things going around, you know, because that would have been the perfect ending. But anyway, let's go back to Sue Gray. Um, there's likely to be, I'm told, possibly a, an emergency question asked today in the House of Commons about it. I assume from from the Tory side, I don't know. Um, but what do you think the well, appointment of Sue Gray has done to the credibility of Keir Starmer? Oh well, no, I think it's a good appointment from his point of view mm. because uh, she's she's clearly a very capable uh, civil servant and knows uh, knows the centre of government uh, extremely well. Um, I think it's a very bad appointment for her because I think it. It suggests that she wasn't uh, the sort of bastion of impartiality. Uh, but if that, it's bad for, for her for that bad. reason, then it's bad for him too, because like we said, it gives Boris Johnson an ability well, to yes, kind of it, wriggle out of a little bit of what he was accused it of. It does, but I think, uh, but I mean, I think that's just Boris Johnson uh, throwing, no, it's not throwing up chaff. And, not and really, no, we, because what it, what, it, what it gives him then is credibility in the backbench areas where they think. Um, Boris should come back. Yeah, but I mean, I think they. I mean, the the recent stuff published by the uh, Privileges Committee about, I mean, more WhatsApp mm. messages from Boris Johnson's advisers about how they couldn't possibly see how uh, how he, how he could justify having said that the the rules were followed at all mm. times. I mean, I think that's that that's really damaged his credibility. No, I think the, I think the Sue Gray thing is 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 good for Keir Starmer. It's bad for civil serv- bad for the civil service, and I think. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of senior civil servants weren't uh, quite upset about it because it, it suggests that the civil service is not as impartial as it ought to be. No, you, you surprise me. Well, I've been telling you this for years. What about Simon <laughs> Case? You know, this is another guy who is te- said to have had great integrity, said to have come from Buckingham Palace, after all, who was supposed to be in charge of the bullying allegations involving uh, Harry and Meghan yeah. and various members of staff who had left the building, as it were. And he went to Downing Street, and one of the reasons why he was said to be so crystal clear about everything was that he was an impeccable individual. Well, these WhatsApps have shown that he's not an impeccable individual. Well, yeah, I, no, I, 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 don't, I don't think they, doubt, they cast any doubt on his impartiality. I mean, again, no, but, but, he's but, been but caught they, out they, by the they fact... they cast that, doubt on his <laughs> manner... Uh, yeah, on the, the way that again, he operates. Well, yeah, but all of this is tone. important to me and to many of our listeners and viewers because they, we pay their, their, their uh, salaries. We yeah. pay their expenses. They exist 
and they are able to make money yeah. because taxpayers give it to them. Yeah. And taxpayers deserve better. I don't, no, think I, can, think, I don't think you just dismiss it and say, oh, it's, it's fine. It's what, we, it's what they do. What, no, I can. Uh, well, I you will. can, but you, will, um, not, but you but, will not be welcome back <laughs> in the studio. <laughs> but, I mean, the point about these WhatsApp messages is that they, they reflect the sort of thing that, that has always gone on. And I think, I think there will now be a huge behaviour change um, in, in government. I think people will stop, will, will, will stop using WhatsApp. Well, one stop, of the broader, well, they'll be very, much more careful yeah, one of the what broader, they say. One of the broader so. questions. Um, well, of course, again, you can, you can have them hoist with their own petard in a way, because just because WhatsApp says these messages are encrypted, they'll never be seen by anybody <laughs> unless you want them to be. Clearly, that's not quite true. Um, but they fell for it. But how about this, though, from Howard? And this is a very good example of the people that listen and watch to, uh, this show. It must be understood by John Rental that attempting to scare a population has serious consequences. Not everyone has the ability to process this. Lots of vulnerable people in our society. It was terribly wrong that many people in power will never understand this. And no, I think no, no, that's a good point. No, it is a good point, and it's, and, and I I disagreed with the with the lockdown in in that respect. I thought it I thought it was bad mm. that, that people were scared mm. and unnecessarily so. Yeah. But the, the the point the point that Matt Hancock was making was was not that he was just trying to scare people for the sake of it. He was trying to make make an effective communication of the government's message, which was that you've got to take this seriously. Yes. And he believed in that. He, he believed that. I disagreed with his policy. It. Yeah, but just because he but, believes in something doesn't mean that he no, has the God-given right to mislead, uh, to misinform, no, no, that's not what he was and doing. to use information which is not true to get people to behave in the way that he wants them to. No, that is not proper democracy, sorry. No, but it's, it's quite proper for people to be scared about things which are scary. Well, of course, but, I mean, you know... You can, that's, that, you was can, his, that was yeah, his point But of that's view. a bit like somebody saying to you um, that the whole reason they wrote um, Hansel and Gretel was to stop kids <laughs> going into the woods. So they invented a wolf that would eat them, right? Now, no, it's it not may, like that. No, it is Cause, like cause, that. Cause, yes, it is. No, because Matt Hancock Matt was not, Hancock invent, was invented not inventing the wolf. anything. No, he wasn't inventing anything. In a cottage. No. No, that, that answered is, the door fully dressed. No, that's, that's what he that's did. Nonsense. Yes, he no, did. No, no. I mean, the coronavirus was a, was, was a real was a real threat. To, of course, to it a was. Lot of people. Nobody suggested yeah. that it's not. Right. However, they overestimated the threat because they were worried because they didn't know enough about it. Yes. They were scared that I if agree, they got it wrong, I agree with you they were scared that. that if they got it wrong, that they would be castigated for yes, it. Yes. And I can understand them feeling like that. But it doesn't fill me with uh, any sort of confidence in the government, and the, many of those people are still in government, um, who who were not more cautious about what they then did, yeah. because well, they I, should have been I, more I, cautious. I, I completely agree with you about that, and which is why I'm glad that Rishi Sunak is now prime minister, because I think he was the most sceptical voice, certainly, uh, in most of those, in, in a lot of those discussions, uh, and actually asked some really challenging questions mm. of, the, of the scientists. All right. And, uh, so let's end up with Rishi Sunak, because we haven't seen you since the um, Windsor Agreement. Such yeah. Is. The triumph. Um, uh, well, a triumph of PR, possibly. But, uh, once the PR <laughs> no, was examined, a triumph of substance. Once you pull the Clearly. curtain back, you realise there isn't an awful lot there. It's no, an no, agreement. No, it's, not it's a political no, it's agreement. No, no, well, this has been said by people who know more about EU law than you do. It's a political agreement. It is not a legal agreement. No, no, that's not true because they're actually going to rewrite the treaty. Uh, so it's, it is actually going to be put into international law. No, it won't so, be. It's no. It's rewritten. Politically speaking, international law doesn't change. 
I'm afraid. That's not, that, that is not my understanding. Well, your understanding because, is wrong. Because the DUP demanded that the treaty actually be, be yeah, rewritten. But the DUP are the ones saying that this is not really a change in anything whatsoever. Well, some of the DUP. Well, the DUP, all of them. The, No, the DUP is not a... Uh, well, f- some is, of them haven't finished examining the document. But, but no, it's a very significant breakthrough. And, you know, I hope the DUP support it because uh, I think the alternative is, uh, is, is actually going to lead towards the United Ireland. Do you not think it was a rather... Uh, Basically naive move to praise the fact that if you live in Northern Ireland, you have not only access to the UK market, but also the EU single market as well. No, not at all, because the point he was making was that, that Northern Ireland has a special status. He was not praising yeah, but the, he the didn't, single market. Yeah, but he said it not shouldn't have, the no, but, market no, but his argument was it shouldn't have special status because that's what the EU wants. And instead, what it should have is the same rights uh, to be and to trade as everybody else in the United Kingdom. Well, yeah, but that's the, that, but it doesn't but that, that is the purpose of the deal, well, is, no. to give it, is to give Northern Ireland that plus... No. It no. also has access no, no, no. to the single market. So you can't have now it both is, ways. But well, well, why can't the rest of Britain have access to the single market then, if that's what's so great about it? Because the EU won't let us. I mean, it's oh, simple. So the EU... Because we're outside the EU. Well, why have they given it to Northern Ireland, which is also well, outside the EU? In order to preserve uh, the Good Friday Agreement and the, and the, and the, and the open border so of the EU, uh, Ireland of Ireland. So the EU, which doesn't I mean, which care is, about Britain, cares about the Good Friday Agreement? Yeah, well, it cares about uh, keeping an open border on the island of Ireland, as everybody, as everyone ought to. So why don't they just allow Northern Ireland to exist in the, in the way that everybody else can? How do you mean? Well, <laughs> they are allowing Northern well, Ireland no. to exist. Well, what's and they're allowing yeah, Northern not, Ireland to remain part of the UK as no, well, but it's which, not, is, but it's not which is quite EU's an ingenious gift. solution. It's not only in the EU's gift to allow Northern Ireland to be part of the UK. It already is part of the UK. So Rishi Sunak's deal is a pig in well, a poke. No, Rishi Sunak's deal is a very effective, is a, is a very How? great improvement on Boris Johnson's deal. Well, Boris which Johnson Boris didn't Johnson, have a deal. Which Boris Johnson admits there was no was, deal. Was, a, was, a, was, was useless. Yeah. Well, I mean, anything would have been an improvement on that. Yeah. Well, so he's improved Boris Johnson's something that was so uh, bad. flawed it, deal. Right. Okay. And which has, wasn't got, the deal. Has, has got something better, and I hope the DUP support it. <laughs> That's as good as it gets from John Renton, I'm afraid. He'll be reversing that, I'm sure, the next time we see him. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> John Renton from The Independent. Don't miss him uh, when he writes about Keir Starmer, particularly. Uh, coming up next, though, we're going to be taking you uh, to a courthouse, uh, but also Stephen Wolfe as well from the Centre for Migration and Economic Prosperity on the Boat Migrants Lifetime Ban. Do you think it will happen? Let's find out. Nationwide, by your side, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Lots to do today. We will be taking you uh, live to a sentencing hearing uh, for Wayne Cousins. He, of course, in addition to being sent to prison uh, for several life sentences, is now uh, being um, sentenced for another offence that he committed before the murder of Sarah Everard. Uh, We'll bring you that uh, from the Old Bailey as soon as we possibly can. There will be um, a live sentencing camera inside the courtroom there uh, where he's... uh, been found guilty of indecent exposure uh, some days before. The reason this is an important case is because had he been in fact arrested for that particular offence, he probably wouldn't have murdered Sarah Everard because uh, he wouldn't have been uh, able to do so. He probably would have been under suspicion by the police. But anyway, we'll come back to that. Right now, though, let's talk to Stephen Wolfe, Centre of Migration and Pro- Economic Prosperity. We are hearing that tomorrow Rishi Sunak will unveil a whole raft of new laws which will supposedly make it illegal for people to come to this country unless they are legal migrants. Obviously, we all know that uh, there's all kinds of difficulties in all of this kind of legislation. But let's find out from Stephen what he thinks of it. Stephen, very good morning to you. Very good morning, Mike. So, um, I mean, I suppose our instinct is to say, well, it's all very well. Um, but does he have a chance with this, do you think? 
I, I think he's been very positive about it from mm. my contacts in the Home Office, from those in government and talking to MPs. Uh, Rishi has really taken this on board as the key issue and, and he's la laid it out as one of his five key points of immigration because he understands that it's going to have a major impact on the northern seats in the Midlands for taking on Labour in the mm. next general election. So he has taken this on board himself. He's putting a lot of effort into it. He's put some teams cross across the cabinet office to the home office and everyone's working on not only legislation but actually staffing technology so there is some positive movement here when a prime minister really gets behind an issue the question we'll have to face mike is whether the legislation really deals with what we want to do which is stopping the illegal migrants coming across the channel and preventing the people smugglers from making vast profits. Yes. Well, I mean, it did work in Australia, but the Australian uh, sort of coastline is a very much different prospect than ours, I'm afraid, because ours is a lot easier to reach and it's a lot less, you know, uh, cumbersome to get here. But, I mean, I suppose the biggest question is going to be, as you know, frustratingly, um, <laughs> a lot of left-wing lawyers will say to you, well, under the Geneva Convention and according to the United Nations and the Human Rights Act, um, people are not illegal if they come here seeking asylum. So they'll have to overcome that somehow, won't they? Well, they're actually wrong on that. The UN Convention on Refugees does not say it's uh, illegal uh, or not illegal to come across the channel. Where it says is everybody is illegal coming into the United Kingdom if they do not have a right or a proper visa. Mm. Where it changes for those in asylum is the moment that they make the claim. Then it becomes an opportunity where they're no longer regarded as illegal. And bearing in mind, there is no legislation in international law that defines what is illegal or illegal in terms of that point. Mm. But we do recognise, and I recognise, that this is the major difficulty for the government. As soon as somebody is on that boat and they make that claim for asylum, then the UN Refugee Convention kicks in, the European Human Rights kicks in, our Human Rights Act kicks in, and so do a myriad of our immigration laws mm. as well. And we're dealing with a lot of immigration laws here, uh, Mike. And one of the biggest things that you find when people make their claims for asylum is it's not they're not getting the, the grant of protection, which most people call asylum, but that's the legal definition, mm. under the Refugee Convention. They're getting it under discretionary rules by the UK government, which are based on the ECHR and the Human Rights Act. So unless Rishi is trying to deal with that specifically, then I think he's going to be weak. But I do hold some promise. I'm being told that it is going to be really quite positive. The devil will be in the detail, and I'll be certainly reading it straight away tomorrow. Absolutely. I mean, I've always said that what we have to do, and this is without being in any way cruel or mean or nasty, uh, you just have to make England a less... Uh, attractive possibility at the moment. You know, arriving on the southeast coast of Britain uh, is a pretty good prospect of uh, having a better life, having um, a supply of food and money, uh, accommodation, and basically everything that you would want coming from a refugee camp, wherever it is, whether it be on the outskirts of Paris, whether it be in Calais, whether it be in Syria, whether it be in Libya. You know, living even in Camberwell uh, is probably better than living there. So, you know, people are going to keep coming if this is what they're going to be offered. So they have to stop offering them that, don't they? Well, we, we'd like to be able to stop offering a, a huge uh, array, or at least the government would, uh, of opportunities such as the housing and the money that, and the legal aid. 
But again, like all of these are part of our sign up to the UN Refugee Convention. Mm. So the big distinction for the government is that if someone claims asylum and they're clearly illegal or an economic migrant, then it should be a very swift decision by the government to say, no, you can't have it and therefore we can return you and you don't get all of these benefits. The problem with it is that when we discover where most of these people are coming from, for example, the top four countries, as you'd expect, are Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan and Somalia, those four countries we do not have deals with to return them. Mm. I don't know why we don't have a deal with Iraq when we helped them out during the during the war and we've been supporting their governments. Yeah. I can understand Afghanistan and Iran, but certainly we should be having better deals to be able to return them. And if we can't return them, then these people end up staying here and they're pushed onto the mm. councils then right. for funding. Well, and then, and then we, we see that uh, not only are they allowed to remain here, but they are then allowed to ask any other members of their family if they wish to come here, which has also created this second wave, if you like, because an awful lot of people say, again, on the side of those uh, who should be allowed in, they say, oh, well, what if they've got family here? Well, the only reason they've got family here is because we let them in, even though they were illegal, and then they, they, they sort of, by virtue of getting a foothold, if you like, then say, oh, well, don't worry, I've got another three members of my family. And as much as it would be lovely to do all that, we can't. You know, you can't just, you know, that means that 100,000 people that have come, say, in the last couple of years, becomes half a million overnight. Well, that, that, that is recognised in any form of immigration. You only have to look at the numbers that we've had in the last 20 years, three and a half million people have come across mm. from the globe here and their families are joining us. And that's why we're seeing so substantial changes in, in the demographics. And again, we have the positives about that and we have the negatives that come through that. But when it comes to the relationship of illegal migrants who are economic migrants coming across the channel and, and seeking asylum, this should be a very clear opportunity for the government to make that distinction between asylums and illegals. And mm. I think that's what we're looking at. If we get the legislation provided tomorrow that you're regarded as illegal and your asylum claim can be dealt with outside of the UK, then your family members can't come either. And that means that the ECHR, the Human Rights Act, and many of the claims that are taken up to the first tribunal on decisions is is stopped. And I think that's really where they're aiming for now. I do find it, though, one point, Mike, that's going to be interesting is many of us have, have called for... Uh, removal of the ECHR, let's Mm. leave it, because that gives us greater flexibility. Rishi Sonak's team and Suela Braveman saying we can still stay in it and make these changes. That's where I think there's going to be huge legal claims over the next couple of years, which Mm. will slow the government down. Yeah. I mean, surely there now must be room for a moratorium to be imposed where the government can say, look, so many people have come here that we weren't expecting. So many people have come here illegally that we're having to process that we need to now put a stop, certainly to any family members coming um, and anybody um, who can be stopped from coming in the current financial year because we need to catch up with the backlog because as long as another 100,000 people come in 2023, (laughs) they'll never catch up. Well, we're never, certainly never going to catch up if we get the numbers that are anticipated. Mm. Even the government, I expect 80,000 uh, to come uh, this year and claim asylum. And these are now huge numbers. We're looking at between 80,000 each year. Uh, and you add that on to those who are coming to work, study, then it's massive demographic changes, massive costs to the exchequer, which we've estimated in the region of about £8 billion is the cost of immigration at the moment related to asylum and, and that, that area. 
So they should have some sort of moratorium. But again, they're going to come up against these legal walls of our international um, deals with countries such as the in the ECHR and in the Refugee Convention. And if they don't deal with that, they can never deal with this moratorium. I'm going to be seeing with great interest tomorrow, Mike. I'm going to be looking at it. And I'm hoping that there is some real movement in the legislation. But I also will be putting my eyes across those as a, as a barrister myself who specialises in this area, uh, what the other side will be doing to try and oppose the government. Quite right too. Stephen uh, will be doing the same thing. Thank you very much indeed. Stephen Wolfe there from the Centre for Migration and Economic Prosperity on the news that tomorrow Rishi Sunak will unveil uh, a series of new laws which will supposedly uh, be designed to stop migrants coming here illegally and to be barred altogether from Britain if they do come here illegally. We'll see how that all pans out. We'll be talking more about it, I'm sure, throughout the course of the day here at Talk TV. I'm Mike Graham. More coming up. On DAB Plus, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Much to do. Uh, It is a Monday. There's quite a lot going on. There's a couple of court cases we'll be visiting along the way. Wayne Cousins is going to be sentenced at the Old Bailey uh, on a charge of indecent exposure. And also uh, Britain's longest serving prisoner, Charles Bronson. A very colourful character, some might say, but a pretty ghastly, hideous individual uh, who keeps attacking people in prison um, and he's been in prison for nigh on 50 years um, is expecting to be uh, given a decision on whether he can be released on parole. He's over 70 now. Uh, His campaigners say he should be released uh, but a lot of people say, well, he's been a pretty nasty piece of work up to now and should it really happen? Peter Hitchens is here. Uh, He'll talk about what he wrote this weekend. The lockdown files, absolutely fascinating. Uh, Lots and lots of insights into the way government really works and the way the civil service perhaps really works as well. We'll talk a bit about Sue Gray. We'll talk a bit about the IRA, of course, as well. Uh, Much else besides. A bit of Harry and Meghan coming up later with Angela Levin. Uh, This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let's get it on. Peter Hitchens, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you. So, the lockdown files, pretty staggering stuff, isn't it? Well, it is. The trouble is that it it may well not have the impact that people such as me would like it Mm. to have, because if you read the... uh, the unpopular papers, the Guardian or the Financial Times, yeah. or you watch the BBC, you get only a tiny echo of what's going on, if that. Mm. And those people who still cling to the idea that it was all a great idea and the only problem with it was that it wasn't uh, it wasn't done early enough or it wasn't done fiercely enough mm. uh, have, have not really been unhorsed by it. No, Th- That's what worries me about it. Those of us on my side may be gathering too much hope and and, and delight from it and not noticing that the the horrible the horrible mask wearing establishment still thinks that all that stuff was right and and won't won't well their excuse now is is that hundreds of thousands of people would have died if we hadn't done it so it's a sort of double negative isn't it but it's it's demonstrably not so and you just need to look at what happened in sweden which which did i i I, which approached the thing with a with the sort of rules which you would have thought a country like this would have done before it happened and the results there are absolutely no worse than here and in some ways significantly better so Mm. the, the argument simply doesn't doesn't work, but the belief in, in, the, in the the zero COVID fanatics and all the people who want this country to be like China, mm. that it was a great opportunity, which it was, of course, to increase state control of people's lives, has not faded away, and they will be back. And this is what I keep saying to people: it, there will be other occasions when this will be back. It may the next the next time it may not be a disease. Mm. And what worries me is that the extension, expansion, and deepening of the war 
uh, will be the pretext for a huge assault on liberty of thought, speech, and movement, yes. which people will be quite shocked by when they find that the war has spread beyond Ukraine into mm. other parts of Europe. That'll be the end of your traveling. It'll become incredibly difficult, and also it will be the end of free speech, because anybody who starts saying, well, actually, this, might, this war might not be a good idea, will immediately be, be, be told you're, you're giving aid yeah. and comfort to the enemy. So you must either shut up or go to prison. This, I think, is a genuine risk. And the, the feeble reaction of most of our supposed protections to the assault on liberty mm. during the COVID panic is a very great warning that you can't expect much help if you're trying to stand out for no. liberty. No, and I think it's interesting as well that the, 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 the depth of, of some of the, the, the WhatsApp messages in which you can clearly see that they're just making stuff up as they go along, that they're inventing things to make people frightened, that they actually say at one point, Matt Hancock actually says, let's scare the pants off people. Exactly. You know, but, but I think by seeing that, people will get a better view now of how government actually operates. Well, so the, and the people who, you're right to say that a lot of people are downplaying it because they're doing that, because I think partly they can't bear to admit that they were wrong, no. one. And two, uh, they really don't want to be quizzed as to why they were so gullible as to go along with it. Well, yes, yeah, so, but you look at the, 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 the newspaper which is carrying this, The Telegraph, uh, is, 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 is doing a very good job mm. of it, and who, who can deny it? And they've got the most fantastic... Treasure trove of yes. material, which is displaying for the public. But, but several major uh, people on the Telegraph were supporters, it seemed to me at the time, of mm. the shutdown. Right. And I haven't seen them coming out and saying, actually, it's terribly sorry, I made an awful mm. mistake. And there isn't very much of this going on. No. And I think people just should. Well, media people in particular are very bad at admitting they've made well, they mistakes. they are. I'm bad at it myself, but mm. I do try. No, but you're better than when most people. When I get people. things wrong, I do, tr I do try to say sorry. But no, most not, people in the media will not say nothing. It's easy. No, but most people in the media will just rather not go back there. Yeah. Uh, would rather not mention it at all and just move on to the next story. But it's important on this occasion mm. because you don't learn from it if you yeah. don't. The, one of the reasons why it's important to do it is it, is it hurts. And it really does hurt. But th that hurt is what we all call experience. We all make mistakes. Every single one of us makes, will make many mistakes in our time. But those mistakes don't turn to experience until we recognize that they're mistakes. If you pretend you haven't made them, you don't learn from them. Yes. Uh, speaking of which, um, it's obviously very clear that there's been a few mistakes made in the appointment of certain senior civil servants. And I wonder whether two things will happen as a result of these um, files being released. One, that governments will start to communicate in a more recordable and more official way, like they do in America, where everything that is officially, you know, sort of um, sent between ministers or sent between departments of state is actually recorded and kept in a, an archive somewhere rather than on somebody's phone, yeah. so that there isn't any more sort of unofficial communication. This is supposed to happen. Mm. Important meetings and telephone calls have always been supposed to be, particularly ministerial ones, mm. supposed to be monitored by civil servants. Right. And one of the things that, that, uh, that I noticed in, in something that Charles Moore wrote at the weekend is that uh, government official historians have been, uh, this is in his article about Sue Gray, government official historians have been retired. They're not bothering to do that. I think it's just slackening off. Yeah. But the whole of the civil... Because you can't control WhatsApp. It's too big. Of course you can't. And also, also it is apparently perfectly possible to delete it if you really want to. Well, apparently Lord Bethel found a way to delete all of, his, all of his well, WhatsApp messages about when he was in the Department of Health because he turns out to have not understood that you could actually keep them in a cloud. Or well, it's shocking, really, isn't it? Yeah. But there it is. but it's unfortunate the, that we it, won't get to see those. Maybe. Yeah, but lots of things you won't see. There has to, there has to be an <laughs> undeletable record. But I think the civil service has been going seriously downhill really since the Thatcher era uh, when increasingly civil servants came under pressure, I think, to be on side with the government. But that was as nothing to mm. what happened when the Blair lot came in. No. 
and the the the, the whole the, the 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 biggest constitutional revolution in this country uh, of modern times in 1997, the giving of effectively ministerial powers mm. to Alistair Campbell and Jonathan Powell yeah. when they hadn't been elected to anything and had no ministerial positions, the Orders in Council doing that. That was a sign that something really big was going right. on. I don't think the civil service can be presumed to be neutral anymore. No. And, the, the, and wasn't Alistair Campbell's job sort of invented for him? Because, you know, we had the sad death of Bernard Ingham last week, yeah. who was one of the last sort of, of the what I would call proper civil servants who kind no. of... I know he was political, but he was appointed... As not a political aide. No, he was. He was. He, he wasn't political, but he was very. He was fantastically personally loyal. Yes. To Margaret Thatcher. Yes, he was. But what and I'm that, saying is, that is meant that his the, the way in which he he ran the job was 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 not really that of a, of a neutral civil no, servant. No. But what I'm saying is, is that the route to that job for him, I think, was through those sort of um, corridors. Oh, yeah, rather, he was rather the, than um, Tony Blair saying yep. we need to get Alistair Campbell, who's a very clever guy, in as our kind of secretary. Secretary of State for Press Liaison, more or less, to, and appointed him. Yeah, I used to deal a lot, particularly when I was industrial correspondent with Whitehall mm. uh, press officers who were civil servants. Yeah. And it was totally different from, from uh, the, the way it is now. If you right. deal, I have no doubt that the people I'm, I'm dealing with in, uh, in junior and middle positions in Whitehall press offices now are civil servants. But the way in which they respond to questions seems to me to be under very heavily political influence. Yes. And I also might add the way in which they do not respond to questions. Right. So you, th you think, wouldn't you, that if a columnist from a national newspaper contacts a major government department with a, with a, with a query, that they will at least get an acknowledgement? Yes. Yeah. Quite often, no. not, e not well, even Well, this was that. one of the great manoeuvrings of the Freedom of Information Act, wasn't it? Because I remember being in Scotland, where, particularly in the Scottish Parliament, uh, when I was working up there, they were very good at just obfuscating, taking ages to answer. When they finally did answer, they would say things like, this inquiry will cost too much money for us to, yep. uh, to do, so Always therefore we're not going to be able to give you an answer. And you've got nowhere to go then. So they actually, in the old days, when you could just ring somebody up and get the answer, that's all gone. Yes. But people just, I'm trying to pursue at the moment, extraordinary events way back now and in, in 2014, after the putsch against Yanukovych in, in Kiev, mm. uh, William Hague made a statement uh, in the House of Commons about it. Well, he was then Foreign Secretary. And it appears to me that that statement might not necessarily be wholly accurate about what had been going on in Ukraine. So I've, I've begun to ask questions about it. Basically, is it not just the, answer, the answer I get is, well, you, you, the, the problem is I have a version mm. uh, in, a, in a major professional history book about what happened that. Uh, on, on, on that occasion, which contradicts what it says in Hansard. Now, it may be that the, that the that William Hague at the time and the Foreign Officer had different sources of information and can produce them saying, no, 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 actually, mm. this is what we meant. But it seems to me, I'm not presuming, I never do with these things that I've, I'm necessarily right, but in actually pursuing this and asking the people involved, you come up against uh, block answers, mm. not or, or in, yes. in some cases, and quite obstructive, not, not, answers. not answers at all. Right. And I just think that people really have to be frank about these mm. things because actually, if he did mislead the House of Commons, this is in in as, as I understand it in British politics, a very very serious thing to have done, and it needs to be corrected. Yeah, it does because again, 
otherwise it happens all the time. I mean, you've got Boris Johnson who's going to be up in front of the beak, as it were, yeah. Privileges Committee. Um, some people think um, that because of the fact that the uh, the report was conducted by a woman who's now about to join the Labour Party, that somehow that report has been undermined. I'm not one of them particularly, but Sue Gray's kind of association with Labour and when she started talking to Keir Starmer has now thrown it all into I question. I think the Sue Gray appointment goes much wider than that. Mm. I think it's to leave aside whatever effect it may have had on that inquiry. The thing is that it, it, it really is a clock striking 13. If someone has been a, 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 a non-political neutral civil servant, and the whole idea of civil servants is that they exercise an enormous amount of influence by, by sacrificing mm. open political affiliation. Uh, if, if, if someone then becomes an, an aide to a political party leader who has been designated as and listened to and treated as a neutral civil servant and given access to information as a neutral civil servant, what do you do? Mm. Uh, what, she, what, what that person now knows, everything she's said in the past, now falls in a different light. Yeah. I think, myself, that if you join the civil service, if you then decide that what you really want to do is to enter politics, there has to be a cordon sanitaire, quite mm. a long time yes. between being the one and being the other. Going straight from one to the other is, too, is, is, is simply wrong. Particularly if it happens in a way before an election, perhaps. Yeah, but it, in any case, I just think you ha would have to hesitate. The reason, Part of the reason for having such a cordon sanitaire is to, is to make people think twice before doing it. Of course civil servants mm. have opinions which they keep to themselves yeah. and and who you know and they and when they go and vote they they express those opinions and in private conversations they do so but if they then become publicly identified with one of the major political parties it just seems to me to undermine the whole idea but then it, as, as we were just saying, I think the whole idea of civil service neutrality went out of the window in '97 anyway. Well, certainly senior ones, because what we've seen in the cases that we do see of senior civil servants disagreeing with government policy is they do awfully seem to be from the left side of the political divide. Simon Case has been facing questions about his political impartiality mm -hmm. after he dismissed the um, uh, concerns about COVID as conservative ideology. Well, I know it's bizarre, isn't it? And, uh, but could you find anybody in the senior civil service who either understands uh, or knows about, let alone sympathises with conservative ideology, or is it just something, a phrase they use to dismiss an idea which they don't think is is actually worth considering? Mm. I don't think there is a substantial body of people, men and women, in the modern civil service at senior or, or middle levels who understand, know about, uh, or sympathise with conservative conservative thought, right. uh, whereas I think there's a very large number who sympathise with the other thing, and I mm. think that, that, that just makes our government less fair. It does. And if, if, if eventually there will be pressure to go the American way and have uh, large parts of the civil service simply appointed by the government when it comes in, right. which I think would be terrible. Continuity is, is, is vital yes. in a, in a But of course, the problem for, for, for any system is, is that, you know, the continuity in America doesn't seem to work terribly well at all. They have one president after another where nothing really changes, nothing really happens, even if the, even if the, um, uh, the president changes colour, if you like, in terms of which party he or she is in. They still have the same business with the two houses. But we'll get back to it. Cause I I'm disagree with that. All right. Well, you, that's if you, good. If you repopulate the West Wing of the White House, you change the direction of the United States. Yeah, but... We can talk about that yep. coming up very shortly because Peter Hitchens is here. We've got lots to talk about, uh, including the West Wing of the White House, um, where we've both been, I suspect. This is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. We seem to have somehow sashayed into the American political system, which we'll come back to in a minute. But I must ask you about the front page of The Times this morning, Peter. Oh, Peter yeah. Hitchens is here. Um, Boris Johnson wants to give his dad a knighthood. 
Now, I'm going to say, go ahead and do it, because um, I believe the knighthood system here in this country to have been so badly devalued. They gave one to Gavin Williamson. Yeah. Uh, they gave one to Ed Davey. They gave one to Keir Starmer. Yeah. They've given one to Chris Whitty, Nick Clegg. I mean, so what I if mean, they give one? You'd refuse one if they offered you one. I think I would. Yeah. I don't want one. I've I got no interest in being knighted, lauded, Look praised. Look at people who are knights. Who'd want it? Exactly. The, the only honour worth having is a hereditary viscountcy with a grant of land and the thanks of Parliament. I'm up for yes. that. Otherwise, what I'm, I'm my honour is that is, is being censured um, by Ipso for, 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 for. Oh yes, you mentioned that in your column. Uh, yeah. No, the, yeah, you should. You should tell I, us that story. They, actually, censured by Ipso for for for. for um, for saying something rude about face masks. Yes. So that's my honour. I mean, what was you, their actual logic for for sort of dis- oh, saying crikey. that you were wrong? Oh, crikey! What they it what was they, they, they said that I um, that, that I'd, I'd wrongly stated that the Danish mask report had concluded that masks were useless. Yes. Well, it was perhaps it was it was basically I mean, you wouldn't would you in a in a news story use the word useless? It was obviously a comment. Right. But they decided to make an issue of right. it. There's no. It's, and it was one of those pedantic no things, as I remember. I mean, wasn't but it? now we have the. Cochrane Review, which says, of course, that, 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 that masks were a complete waste of time. So I feel vindicated. And I'm going to get, there are, there are people who, make, going to ask people for who make medals. I'm going to get a little bronze medal made, quite modest, mm. uh, which I can wear on on state occasions if ever I'm invited okay. to, which says censured by Ipso. Okay. Because I think it is, it, because you, all these you know, press awards things, you know, about the, the great dinners are yeah. as long as how wonderful everybody is. I, I don't generally pay I used to go just well, to watch, of, I, used, I used to go just to watch the fights, yeah, to be but, but, uh, the, the last one, which is the one immediately after the, um, after the, uh, the, the, the great panic. Yes. Uh, I, I was persuaded to, to put myself up for an award. It was nothing. Um, for all the stuff I wrote, mm. saying that it was all stupid, mm. and obviously not going to get anything of that kind because it, 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 that's, it no doesn't way. get you awards for, for not for, for, for not following the crowd as far as I can see. So uh, I'm going to turn my episode of censure into a, into an honour. But yeah, I, I, the whole system of honours is, um, is, is 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 plainly ludicrous. Yeah. But on the other hand, I, even even accepting that, making your dad a knight mm. just seems to be going. <laughs> Far, but you would expect him to. I mean, maybe you? it's maybe he's just doing it for the humour. He might I don't be. No, but honestly, um, and uh, well, I'm not sure on what grounds he's going to make him a knight either. I, I presume you have. Do you to have, have to give grounds? I think I you have to have some grounds, don't you? I, I mean, our good that. mutual friend Sir Nicholas Lloyd got his knighthood for services to the Tory Party, which were very significant. You'd have to say the time he was running the Express, um, and I know that because I did quite a lot of investigations on behalf of him. Uh, which were also on behalf of the Tory party at the time, into things like the BBC props department. But anyway, um, I assume that he'd say, well, he's got services given to the environment, to the European Union, to all sorts I'm of things. I'm sure that, but every, everybody's got services to something. I Probably if I looked into my background, I could find I'd given some <laughs> services to something. What I think is important is that you, you don't get knighted or a peerage for services to what you were being paid for. Yes. But that, I mean, it's, but this that, is, this that is, rule doesn't seem well, to apply. Well, this is why I think I, it was wrong that Sir Keir Starmer got one just for being, you know, the, the chief prosecutor and the head well, of the DPP. Well, he doesn't seem to want it anyway. No, he really doesn't. Um, but let's go back briefly to yeah. the West Wing. Um, yes. I know what you're saying that, you know, if you change and you wholesale sweep out all of the civil servants effectively and bring in people who yeah. are more like the Republicans or the Democrats, whatever. Yes, there is an attempt to make America different, but I'm not sure... A bit like the way we haven't changed much since Blair to Cameron. To, okay, to, well, let me May. give you an example. All right, tell I, this me. is my favourite example because I, I was a witness of it. When Clinton came into the White House 
in 92. Mm. Uh, he had given, a, very much, quite unwillingly, because he wasn't very interested in it at the last minute, he'd given us some pledges to Irish America. Yeah. And Irish America is big. Yeah. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not just a few people drinking green Guinness on a parade. It's mm. big business. It's mm. clever people. And he didn't fulfill his promise. And they, they, they came to him and they said, look, this has got to change. And in the, in, into the West Wing with Clinton had come some people who were seriously connected with, uh, with, with, with Senator Ted Kennedy. Yeah. Who was a very powerful man. Was very powerful. His power came into the West Wing and was one of the forces which in 1993-94, uh, and I witnessed this, uh, obtained the visa for Jerry Adams which was the start of what I call the surrender mm. process, the end of which in, in 1998, uh, the British government pretty much gave in to the IRA. Yeah. And people say, how, do you, how can you possibly say that? I said, well, okay, I, it's very easy, I can say it this yeah. way. The British Army, its surveillance equipment have all left Northern Ireland. The, the, the Royal Ashley Constabulary has been dissolved and replaced mm. by a politically correct uh, nothing. Mm. The, the, the whole apparatus of British power in Northern Ireland has gone. Hundreds of terrorist criminals from both sides of the divide have been released from prison. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people who, um, and we've, and we've who were terrorists came into yeah. uh, the um, uh, Martin McGuinness uh, was invited to dinner with Her Majesty the mm. Queen in white tie and tails. Now, it, it, would that have happened if the IRA had been defeated? Mm. And, and we're told all the time the IRA decommissioned their weapons. Uh, what evidence do we have? For this one Canadian general who says he's seen something, yeah. but nothing, n- nothing objective has ever been. Well, produced. there's no question. As, do as we I really think, think you that, said at the weekend that, that, that the real to exist. the real IRA or the new IRA or whatever you want to call them, uh, or the provisional IRA, are still the IRA? Well, they haven't really gone it's, away. It's, have it's they? What the, the history of, of Irish republicanism through the 20th century mm. was that if, if people defied the leadership, then the leadership would uh, would usually turn on them quite violently. Yeah. Uh, and the the interesting thing about this is there have been so many of these supposed dissident operations mm. since 1998. The biggest one, of course, being the worst atrocity of all, the in bombing Omar. in Omar. Yeah, exactly. Who's ever been and punished? And that was the real IRA, yeah. wasn't Who's it? Who's ever been punished by the IRA for that? Mm. No one. Exactly. So it, I don't. I think all this stuff about it's the it's the real IRA. It's the the uh, new IRA, the continuity so IRA. I say yeah. it's, it's the. I can't believe it's not it's, the IRA. Yeah, well, exactly right. You've also talked in the past, and I'd like to hear it again about the way that you were stared at quite menacingly in that encounter with Jerry Adams. Well, I mean, I, the, 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 the it, it was I, I was <laughs> I, I, I was invited to to Canada right. to discuss the Irish peace process. Jerry Adams, and they left us rather unwisely. Left us alone in the same green room. It's the only time I've ever been alone with him. Mm. I have to say, he wasn't very pleased about the things I've been doing no. uh, for the previous. But few was it menacing? Do, would you say? Well, look, I mean, I, it, it's unpleasant. You could I say it, I, what I what I would say is he obviously didn't like me, no. and I think that was a, it was a reasonable conclusion to draw. No. I have to say, it was mutual. True. He but would course, probably say the same about me. Yeah, to go back to the he change. called for me to be decommissioned. Did he about that time? Yeah, right. Interesting. I was before, there at the time. Before so. being, being cancelled was a thing. Um, just to go back finally to that decision. Yes, indeed. They, the foreign policy, absolutely. You can make a difference depending on who's well, in the West Wing. foreign policy is big. Of course. But I'm talking more about domestic policy in America because in America... Linda Johnson? Um, you still have to get through the, the House and you still have to get through the Senate. True. So more often than not, you end up with a kind of stalemate. And well, not okay. much changes so, so perhaps it's an experience. exception, but Lyndon Johnson, who understood the House and the Senate, which not many presidents do, certainly 
uh, made an, the, his great society program, whether you like it or not, and I think it, a mm. lot of it was very mistaken, was an enormous revolution. And this is a post-war kind of um, but, but a pre-war rebuilding Franklin of everything. Roosevelt, I, it, he, he, he was there so long mm. that he was able to completely change the country. I think, don't underestimate the power of having of having a civil service on your side yeah. and, a, and a clear direction right. of what you want to do. It can be done. Well, I suppose we've seen it here in the opposite manner, haven't we? Because we've seen conservative governments unable to do things. We know from, from, for example, the Home Office, the Home Office Union is suing the government over its treatment of migrants, which pretty much tells you everything you need to know about the Home Office. Well, sure. I, I, but I, I think a lot of these, these tensions that we have and accusations of bullying of, of civil servants by ministers must surely have something to do with the increasing mismatch mm. uh, between between civil servants and the, the ministers they're dealing with. And I, 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 one must ask how much of this is political and how much of it is personal. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Sadly, we're out of time. But we covered a lot of ground there, I think. We try. Peter Hitchens, uh, thank you very much indeed. See you next week. Um, you will read him again, of course, in the Mail on Sunday and possibly in the Daily Mail. Before that, coming up, we're going to discuss uh, the dentist shortage, which obviously can't be true because we found one. He's not going to do anything for me. He's just going to talk to me. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning, Mike. I'm absolutely livid about Matt Hancock as my PTSD went into a really dark place. I felt suicidal due to all the pressure the media and politicians were putting on people and my therapist was concerned about my safety. She had to beg her bosses in the NHS to let her do my therapy in person. So these MPs are absolute scum as far as I'm concerned. And Angela says uh, there is a huge problem with Hancock scaring the pants off people if you don't think so, then I really despair. And she aims that at John Rental. The fear he promoted caused anxiety, misery and suicide. Unacceptable, uh, Mr Rental, that you make light of this. Uh, well, I think a lot of people have been very, very angry and have been made even more angry by uh, these continued uh, leaks that have been coming out of the Daily Telegraph since about last Wednesday. Extraordinary stories, um, extraordinary um, language being used by government ministers and also their special advisers. Absolute nightmare. But let's talk now about something completely different, because one of the things that we've found over the course of the last couple of years is that people have found it harder and harder to find dentists in this country. And we're going to talk to Dr. Richard Marks, uh, who is here with us. He is, of course, uh, a man uh, who is known for being, um, I'm not going to say celebrity dentist, Richard, but I mean, you are kind of a bit well known. So I'm very glad you've joined us. Thank you very much indeed. Um, I've, I've been sort of rather laughingly saying, well, people say you can't find a dentist, but we found one. Uh, you seem to be sitting in a rather dark room, though. Is there any way you can lighten yourself up a bit? Let me try. <laughs> it would be it would be nicer to see you because you're a sort of silhouette at the moment. Yeah. Let's see if we can do that. Oh, he's got up now. Um, anyway, here's the story. The story is this, that once again, we're being told by the NHS that uh, there aren't enough dentists because it's down to the government. Is it really down to the government? Let's ask Dr. Richard. Um, is it the government's fault that there aren't any dentists? Well, um, what we think is that the funding has been cut a lot for dentists. So um, there's a lot from the BDA about this, that the funding has been cut in real terms. And that another problem is to do with Brexit as well, um, because it's harder to recruit both dentists and dental nurses. And there's not enough qualified in the UK to really cover the full dental need within all the practices and the hospitals as well. So, you know, those are the problems. Um, like everything within the NHS is struggling um, from, from kind of budget cuts. I mean, dentists that I've spoken to in the past have said basically that you only get paid a certain amount of money per patient and it's not really enough 
to operate properly as a dental practice and so you have to limit the number of NHS patients and take on more private ones. Is that about the size of it? Yeah, so there's a limit to what you can do. Um, there's something called units of dental activity and once those are used up, that's it. You can't do any more NHS dentistry at all, right. even if you're a mixed practice. So there's there's a very limited amount on the budget. But is it... But isn't there some kind of dental kind of uh, body or some NHS body? Because I always say to people in the NHS, the NHS is run by the NHS, and I know the government um, is overall responsible for the budget, but the government is giving plenty of money to the NHS. So shouldn't there be somebody inside of the dentist's sort of practices who says, well, this is how you fix it? I can't believe this has been going on for so long and nobody's found a solution. Yeah, so there's the chief dental officer. That's the head of kind of... NHS dentistry in UK right. and then any budget that we do have is kind of distributed to the lead dentist or the practice manager would have, be responsible for sorting out within within each clinic but yeah. you know obviously as much as can be done once the budget's gone it's gone. Yeah well I find that hard to believe though because I just find I mean as with most things in the NHS and I'm not doubting your um, story there or, or your explanation but you know if, you, if I'm working in an organisation and the organisation isn't working properly you know in any situation that was private and if you do private work you'll do the same if your private practice isn't working properly you fix it don't you you don't just let it carry on falling into rack and ruin and just hold your hands up and go well there's nothing I can do. Yeah yeah well I agree you know there's a lot of waste within the systems especially within hospital systems you know and they could have work out ways to use the dentistry budget more effectively there the other thing is they definitely need to do something just like you said Mm. they need to find a way to cut waiting lists and help out the patients who have been left without any dentistry and you hear these stories about diy dentistry and well i actually know somebody that pulled his own tooth out believe it or not Oh my gosh, it's awful. I mean, unbelievable. But but not because he was sort of at the end of his tether, but he simply couldn't get an appointment. He couldn't find yeah. a dentist to do anything for him. And a story in the Mirror today um, saying there's now 11 million people waiting to see an NHS dentist. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's really important. It's like a that fifth they, of the population. It's crazy. And it's really important that they increase capacity, especially for emergency dentistry. Yeah. You know, that's something that they've got to get people out of pain like people should definitely not be pulling out their own teeth at home yeah they really mustn't but then if you've got an incredible pain and i know having suffered from toothache in in my younger years it's one of the most awful pains you can have and if you can't do anything about it you would literally do anything to get rid of it exactly and the other problem is people end up going to a and e um for the medical doctors and yeah. Some hospitals have dental departments, but if they don't, the doctors can't really do anything. Right. They don't have dental tools. They don't have anything. All they can do is kind of give painkillers. So, I mean, I was, at, at this point, you get to answer this question. Um, I always ask anyone who comes on as, as a dentist, if you were able to have a simple sort of solution, I know there may not be one, or if you were able to say to the health um, secretary, this is what you need to do, what would it be? So they definitely need to increase funding. Um, and they need to kind of open more more clinics um, within the NHS, and especially if they could open more emergency clinics and just help to get through the waiting list. Yes. 
But I mean, if you're trying to get a dentist and there aren't any, what are you supposed to do? There was there is a um, your local NHS bodies which can point you towards the practices that are taking on patients. Mm. So um, the the sad thing is sometimes people have to travel a bit, you know, to find the dentist that has the capacity. So that makes it difficult right. for people who who might have to travel a long way, particularly if you're somewhere remote. Well, that is the problem, I think. If you're not in a city and you are in a rural place and you're not allowed to drive your car anymore because there's a new leisure zone that you can't afford to get through, you know, you're, you're stuck to really, aren't you? But there we are. Listen, Dr. Richard Marks, thanks very much indeed. We'll talk to you again soon, I'm sure. Um, lots more of you have things to say. Um, apparently, according to Susan, um, who I'm not sure is the Susan from Exeter, uh, really apparent dentist shortage. There are plenty of them down here in this neck of the woods, and many of them are from Eastern Europe and further afield. Well, that may well be. Uh, maybe that's what's required. Why not there any dentists coming over in the dinghies? You can put a sign up, you know. As I said last week, green lanes, red lanes, if you're a dentist, come this way. I wonder how many of them would pretend to be dentists. Well, let's see. Uh, this is the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Coming up, we're going to be talking to Angela Levin about the latest nonsense uh, from Prince Harry, um, who's been giving yet more interviews about how happy he is and how he just wants privacy. We want privacy. Here's another interview coming next. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Coming up later on tonight, of course, at 7 o'clock, it's Jeremy Carl Live, followed by Piers Morgan. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham's podcast as well. That's my podcast. So you never miss a moment from the show. Subscribe and download now from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, of course, uh, throughout the course of the day here, we'll be bringing you all the news that you'll need uh, to make yourself uh, as well informed as you need to be. Coming up tonight, 7 o'clock, Jeremy Carl Live. I will be making an appearance, I hope. Uh, let's see if Jeremy uh, is doing well. Jeremy, very good afternoon to you. Hello, me old son. Well, that was a great week to take a week's holiday, wasn't it? <laughs> Let me get this absolutely clear. So in the space of seven days, right, yep. Rishi Sunak manages allegedly to sort Brexit. Yep. Boris Johnson's career is stuffed forever. Yep. Um, our very own Isabel Oakshot tells Matt Hancock that he's a duplicitous, lying piece of whatever, and right. it's important that the world knows. Yes. Um, that was enough to deal with. But then I come back this morning and guess what? Mm. The bloody migrants are still at it, pouring across the ocean. Yes. And of course, the royal family is still arguing the toss. So nothing much has changed, no. to be fair. I mean, the, 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 the more it changes, the more it looks the same, I suppose you yeah. might say. I mean, my favourite quote of the day so far, we're going to hear it shortly from Oliver Whitfield Majacic, is at the Charles Bronson parole hearing, where the judge apparently apologised to him for keeping him waiting, to which he said... I've been in prison for 40 odd years. A couple of hours don't make much difference. <laughs> that's an interesting one, isn't it? Oh, yes. That's, a, that's a really incredible. That, 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 there, there are many people with an opinion. What's your opinion on that? Well, I don't think dangerous people should be allowed out of prison, period. That's it. Is he still dangerous? Yeah, of course he is. I mean, you don't yeah. become undangerous just because you tell people that you're not dangerous anymore. And, and, no. if, he, and if he doesn't like it, tough. You know, I watched that. I watched that documentary. I, I watched that documentary on Channel Four. The only thing I'd slightly say is that the bloke that used to be a paparazzi is apparently his his son that he's just discovered. That right. that, that I don't know. It's all a bit weird. I will say one thing: um, uh, migrants and royals tonight, definitely on the show, and the appalling Wayne Cousins just again just given awful. nineteen extra months. Can we just get this right? As my wife just said to me, for indecent exposure before. 
before yeah. he murdered Sarah yeah. Everard. What does that say about? I mean, I think they've gone Probably. through the motions. I mean, the trouble is, I mean, he's, he's got a full a whole life sentence. So he's not coming out anyway. And again, you, I do, I wouldn't ever want to be having a conversation about uh, him wanting to come out when he's seventy. No. Not interested. You know, you stay where you are and you rot in in jail, mate. You know, but I, I know I know what you mean. I mean, a lot of people saying things to me that if men like him cannot control themselves and cannot stop exposing themselves, you know, you just have to put them away because the trouble is there'll be more people like him than there are people like him who murder women. But there's an awful it lot of worries men me. who do it that. It worries me that that was before that heinous crime and the murder and rape of that innocent, innocent girl. So migration tonight, I will I will say this, uh, you know, I haven't been Sunak's biggest fan. Mm. Has he sorted out Northern Ireland? Has he ruined Boris's career forever? Could he perhaps deal with the, the migrant crisis? I don't know. Do you know what? Every time we have the conversation about it, Mikey, on the show, whatever we say, people say, oh, the Home Office isn't fit for purpose and the processing system isn't fit for purpose. And I say to myself, well, bloody well, get a system yeah. that works. Well, right? exactly. I mean, I think I this, is, is, this is a better idea than the Rwanda one. It's a better mm-hmm. idea than the, um, the let's process them all a bit quicker one because I've always mm-hmm. said you have to make it impossible for people to just come here and stay and then they'll stop coming. As soon as you make it a bit more difficult, they'll stop coming. Did that special last week, which you repeated while we were away with Tony Abbott, yeah. who created that situation in Australia. He went, no, you're going back to Java. I don't want to put an Australian accent on them. <laughs> going back to Java. Java. And he said, and we made it so unattractive to them, it stopped. And yes. he said, when we were doing that in Australia and whenever it was, the early 2000s, you know, the, the Labour opposition was up in arms. They took government, the Labour opposition, mm about six months ago in Australia, and they've kept it going. We have to be strong. I'm sure Starmer will now say he's going to be strong in immigration because he's suddenly turned into being strong on everything, hasn't he? Well, he doesn't quite know what to say about immigration, does he, old Starmer? I mean, that's no. the trouble. I mean, Maybe ask Sue Gray, who's supposed to be an innocent civil servant, who turns out to be not only his new chief of staff. I missed that as well last week. His new chief of staff's going to be the person well, who's the, you know, the inquiry into Boris. The question of the week is going to be, when did you start talking to Sue Gray? And what did you say yeah. to her? Because apparently he doesn't want to uh, <coughs> prejudice an inquiry, so he's not he's not willing to say. Wes Streeting, who appears with Julie Hartley Brewer quite a bit, said that he didn't know when they started talking. It's quite an important question, it seems to me. Um, and I don't see how you can prejudice an inquiry by telling the truth. So do we, I completely agree, do we give Rishi a bit more credit and think maybe he's done Brexit, maybe he's going to get this immigration thing sorted? Then, of course, you've got Boris Johnson. Has he flattened his career forever? Is that it? Or is Boris going to bounce back on the back of the Sue Gray? Obviously knew too much. God knows, mate. What? A, what? A, and also the royal stuff. I mean, I'm sitting here, I live in Windsor, I'm looking out. Frogmore Cottage, apparently, the day after Spare was published, Charles went, get out. You know what my favourite bit of that story? My favourite bit of that story is that Princess Eugenie goes into the cottage, right, with some movers, puts a load of stuff into packing cases and sends them all off to Montecito. It goes, there you are. That's all your stuff. It's like evicting some, you know, unwanted tenant. I love it. I I love that you can use uh, Frogmore if you come to the coronation. I love the article. I don't even know who wrote it today. It's somewhere. Um, and, And it basically said, the coronation for those couple of is such a difficult one because mm. their egos will insist and their Netflix deals will insist and their whatever BS will insist that they go there. But then the other side of it is they're going to get such, I think, an appalling reaction mm. if they do whatever anybody tells me. Oh, yeah. It's a real difficult one. How yeah. do they stay relevant if they don't turn up? I think the only way for them to get around all of this is for him to come on his own. She uses Archie's birthday as the excuse that she stays behind and then it doesn't become quite as much of a circus. But then if they did 
did both come. It'll be like the uh, the Queen's funeral and the Queen's jubilee, where they weren't invited to everything. You know, it's a bit like when you get, oh, look, I've got my VIP passes and to I, Glastonbury. I will repeat whether people like it or not. I'm lucky enough to live on the long walk. I was there with Oliver giving him a push in the pram, and I saw those four come out, That you know, the great force and back. Yeah. There was a Netflix crew 100 yards behind them. Yeah. And can people. I can I Honestly. just can I just point out that there were certain royal um, sort of watchers who uh, disagreed with me about the fact that this was just all for the cameras. They were like, "Oh no, this is a new rapprochement. This is going to be good. This is going to be much better." Well, look what's turned out to be the case. He now does an entire interview with some Herbert um, who is a pro Hamas, um, you know, shrink in California, who apparently doesn't mention his own brother in an hour and a half of talking. I don't know. I thought I watched that. I thought it was. Uh, we're on the we're on the lines of a bit of desperation now. To be honest, Harry, what do we, what do we get? He looks. I, I love. There was a, a, an article. It was Sarah Vines. It just looks beige now, mm. doesn't he? Everything's beige about yeah. his life. And it's right. all a bit. I don't know. Listen tonight. Uh, we're we're back live after a week away. God, what a week to be away. I, I mean, know. Wait, is there still a studio? What's going on? But what a um, way. To, but what a week to be back as well, because there's plenty going on today. Today? Migration, Today. the royals, the heinous, I've used that word three times, Wayne Cousins, but the biggest bit of tonight is, I mean, I don't want this to sound the wrong thing, but I've missed you. It's been nine days. You're back. Shocking. We're seeing each other. Yes, it'll be very nice. I shall be there. I've, uh, no, I've noticed something, Michael, in my absence. Go on. They've parted your hair a different way. Have they? Are you sure? They've done it from... Yes, it's mm. a different side. Well, you may be right about that. I've lost count of which side it goes on now. But You're anyway. looking rather well, I must but say. Thank you very much indeed. I had a decent sleep. Um, had a Did reasonably reacting, relaxing weekend. But I've got plenty to tell you, which will obviously be uh, in a session before we yeah. go in here. Yes, well, that won't be on the telly or the radio. We'll do that <laughs> later. Um, I want to tell you one thing about going on holiday. Apart from missing all the news, managed to get conjunctivitis. I couldn't see sod all for three days. So that was great. Yeah. Mm, that's bad. Yeah. yeah. I hope, did you get the right drops? Because quite often I've yeah. been to, to get drops in the chemist. And I once went and they said, oh, no, uh, we can't give you these drops. Uh, I said, why is that? She said, well, because you might become... Um, immune to their um, success. And I said, well, if I'm not using them, I'm also immune to their success. Would you mind awfully just giving them? They wouldn't give them to me because they said, you won't, you'll get too used to them and then they won't work anymore. I said, well, I don't need I them to work. I went to the doctors like that and he said, you've got conjunctivitis. And then I put them in and three days later, I was like, that was fine. But yeah, no, uh, great to be back though. Really looking forward to the show tonight. Yourself, we've got, we've got loads of guests lined up. We're going to look into that immigration thing. Henry Bolton, Ivan Sampson. We'll get Alex Phillips, who is absolutely fantastic. We'll do the roles with Emily Andrews. We'll have Kinsey live from, from, uh, from LA. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have Simon Harding. My sort of, I mean, he's turned to a friend of the show. He's the man who prosecuted. He was in charge of the Wayne Cousins thing. So yes. fascinating. And the showdown with you and Miss Thorpe tonight. Oh, Miss Thorpe. Thorpe yes. Uh, Ava's on holiday, apparently. Is, she? is that right? I didn't know socialists had holidays. Who knows? Wow. Maybe she's at re-education. Probably paid for by us, me old son. No, it's yeah? probably a re-education camp in Beijing or something, isn't she? And I'm, I must just say that the laughing boy, he, he's having a bit of a hard morning. He just said to me, he was, he was outpouring his heart. Yeah. And I actually, for a moment, felt quite sorry for him. He was a bit wrong-footed early doors, shall we say. Leave it at that. Yeah, just leave it at that. Don't worry, laughing boy. We'll wrong foot the opposition. Leave it to me and Mike. We're back. I'll see you at seven, mate. See Thanks you later. Tuning in, by the way. Can't wait. Jeremy Carl live coming up at 7pm, followed by Piers Morgan, of course, and then the talk. Uh, coming up, we'll take more of your calls into Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app.
If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.